Hi, I'm Ray, a storyteller, educator, mom, and now your host of Homeroom, a podcast bridging the education gap between the classroom and the living room. Growing up, my single immigrant mom was so busy working multiple jobs to make ends meet, she couldn't afford to give me a lot of her time. So she relied on schools to teach me everything about how to succeed in life. But under-resourced and over-standardized, our one-size-fits-all education system had other priorities. In this liminal space of unmet expectations, I fell into a blind spot. Homeroom is my attempt to ask why. In this first season, I speak with people in all walks of life from around the world about their own experiences with their education systems. I want to know what worked, what didn't, and what ideas they have on improving it for our next generation. In this episode, I speak with Estrin, an event planner, graphic designer, and mom based in Indonesia about her experience looking for a school that could complement the skills and interests of her son. We talked in depth about the holistic school her family ultimately chose and what she thought about how it influences and impacts her son's learning and growth as a global citizen. Here is our edited conversation. In Indonesia, like we have this curriculum, national curriculum that every school has to follow. And uh, it's kind of limiting the students. Like you have to stay in this curriculum. You have to get these academic achievements and you cannot uh, go I mean, you cannot go out of the border from the curriculum. So you have to stay in that. Mm. And it really limits the children's creativity. Like um, if uh, some kids love to do art, some kids are good at maths, you know, they would just take everything as the same. So it's it's so unfair to the kids, right? Because we believe that each one of us has different talent. Each one of us is unique, you know. Then I met this teacher and she once told me this. We don't really teach students on what to think, but we teach them how to think. That's a big difference. And I was so touched by what he, what she said, and it was 100% true. So at that time, I was looking for schools for him. We visited the school, and in the first place, I would just ask him, like, do you see that this is a good place for you? Because I believe that kids have their own so-called intuition, I think, right? right if they right. belong to a certain place, they would be just like, yeah, I'm happy here and all that. But if he feels that there's something that is not right for him, he would just tell me, no, 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 this is not for me. <laughs> we visited literally like a few schools. And when we first arrived at this holistic school, and he was like, this is it, mommy. I just want to study here. And since then, since then, um, every day he would ask me, like, can I go to that school, mommy, today? Can I go? Wow, so he knew, like, so do you know, like, were you able to speak to him about what it was about the school that made him really want to attend like did it have something to do with the environment the mentors uh the curriculum the 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 activities they did the the layout of the room like do you remember sort of asking him or seeing what about that school was attractive to him um i think it's 
most, I mean, it's all aspects of the school. So at that school, he was allowed to talk. He, he's a very talkative guy. Like whatever comes in his mind was just like, <laughs> you know, he was speaking out. And so at that school, they, the mentors facilitate him to do that. Like it's in a classroom, they will just dis- put him in discussions and there will be like a lot of, you know, talks and debates and sometimes turn into fights, but in a positive way, right? So, and the activities too, um, they design this kind of activities like um, in a holistic way. Like they won't, they will not just do one thing, but everything is like um, continuous, you know? So I can give you an example, like um, when he was in the first grade, um, they were learning about corns. They would learn um, how to plant the corns, right? Like how to sow the seeds, and later they will watch the corn uh, the corn crop grows. And from the beginning, you know, like planting the seeds and sowing that. Um, at first, the teacher would ask them to you, you can grab you can grab uh, all the seeds on your hand and just feel it and. Um, what the texture is like. So they learn about sensory, right? And after that, okay, we need to prepare the soil and you have to water the soil and then you sow the seed. And please, uh, before we, we're done with that, you need to pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pray that the plant will grow well. Mm-hmm. And one day we can harvest the corns. So, um, after that, uh, from day to day, they would just monitor the growth of the corns and they would measure with um, rulers and they would draw, you know, the, the growth like, okay, this week it has grown like five centimeters and the next week it has grown like, you know, it has um, the leaves are sprouting and all that. They would monitor in, a, in their journal. So at the end of the semester, they would harvest the real corns. And after they harvest them, they would cook them. <laughs> That's very interesting. So um, then they would just cook and they made corn fritters. It's a traditional Indonesian dish. It's very nice. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, from, from there, I think that we learned a lot, you know, from corns, right? Yeah. You learn sensory, you learn like, um, you need to uh, acknowledge like a God that gives this life and we have to believe that it will grow well. We thank God for this food at the end of the day. And they also learn a lot about maths and science, right? They do the measurements and also the arts. They need to, because they need to learn the, you know, the corns and all that. So yeah, this like, a corn philosophy. <laughs> That's actually really incredible. Um, and I'm curious. Okay, so when you um, mentioned the prayer part, that's when um, that's when I was thinking. Okay, this would be a little bit tricky in the United States, at least you know in public schools, because legally we're not allowed to talk about religion inside the school, and it gets very tricky. 
because everybody could be practicing different faiths. And so I'm wondering, is it different um, in Indonesia or is it different um, at this school that you sent your son to? Or like, are there certain rules from the government that say you should or should not talk about religion? Or, you know, I just have questions about that. So, but it, at this holistic school, um, because we are so multicultural, like all religions are here, like, um, and we don't really talk about it, you know, <laughs> because um, everybody is different and everybody has own, has their own perspective about religions. And so we, we don't really, we don't really talk about it in, uh, you know, like asking what, what religion are you? No, no we, we don't really talk about that. But um, we only believe that there is... Um, Creator, right? We acknowledge our Creator, and we have to be thankful for that. Uh, that is, I would say, is the base of our spirituality, right? So when we acknowledge our Creator, and we would be thankful for this life, and we could take care of uh, whatever given to us, we we have to be, you know, grateful for the place that we live. We will take care of the earth and we would be, um, you know, live our life in a peaceful way. Right. Right. No, I absolutely can see that. Um, how wonderful that your son has had this experience uh, with the school. And, you know, I don't, maybe the corn fritters was, you know, a special example, uh, but I wonder what is the student student ratio like at the holistic school and how do they manage these very sensory based projects or these um, projects that require more than just a desk and some paper? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, from what I know, I think the ratio is like one to four, I think. One mentor, four students. So, uh, in every class, uh, they would have two homeroom mentors in every, every grade, like from uh, preschool to high school. So every classroom will have two mentors and maximum of 20 students. So it's about one to 10 ratio for uh, a classroom. And every year there was there's only one class so maximum, yeah, 20 students. And beside that, they would have like this English teachers, art teachers, and yeah, so like uh, support, uh, yeah, su support teachers and all that. So um, basically they would have this uh, classroom set up. I mean, not really classroom, it's just a room, an empty room, I would say, an empty room. Uh, but they would have, uh, of course, desks and chairs and all that. But uh, every day the setup is different. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the teacher would ask the students like, how are you going to be seated today? Like, would you draw a map, a sitting map? And uh, sometimes they would just uh, sit on the floor or on the mat, or they would just go outside. Because um, I would say it's the school with no walls. They designed the classroom in a way like, um, there's this one classroom and in the middle there's a mentor's room and then, uh, the next and after that is the another classroom so um, all students have access to this mentor room there is no wall really <laughs> like 
if the mentor signed in a room and the and the students would ask something, they would just go and knock the door and you know like, can I ask you something? <laughs> it's uh, it's it's something that we can never do in a public school, right? Because there's always a wall like okay, if you want to go to the teacher's office, it's so dreadful, right? <laughs> but in this school. They were created in an environment, in a super friendly environment. Like everybody is open to each other. They have access to everything. And the school is, uh, I would call it, it's very green. Uh, it's not a big school, no, because uh, every year they only take in 20 students. So it's kind of a small school, small scale school. And they would have this uh, small garden uh, and they, they have this, um, we call it the gazebo, where, yeah, where, where we can have discussions or um, art performance there, and they have this small theater. Actually, it's pretty much like um, a regular school, but they design it in a way that everything is open, like very minimal walls. That's incredible. And it actually kind of reminds me of like, so I was an art major um, in, uh, in university. And um, I remember like all of our art classrooms, there were no walls. And there was one gallery and they had like movable walls. And so we could uh, organize the room as we needed uh, to kind of curate our artwork in a certain way. And um, that's kind of how I'm imagining, you know, um, the school to be that you can create the, the layout of that day um, or that, that week that is, that is necessary to uh, produce the, the work that they need to do. And so I'm curious, like, did, how do the teachers come up? with um, the projects and is there input from the students or the parents as to what they're going to do that day or next week and how is that facilitated? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, basically from what I know because we live in Indonesia and we still have to follow that national curriculum whether you like it or not. But this school, since they adopt uh, this holistic curriculum uh, I believe it's from Finland, I think. And they would take this uh, syllabus from the national curriculum and they would uh, sort of like explore it in a way that it fits into the holistic curriculum. So it takes a lot, 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 lot of, of work of the teachers and the uh, head of the curriculum. They have this uh, board called the head of curriculum in the school. So uh, these mentors would like uh, oversee the teachers, like uh, how they, uh, how they uh, design this uh, syllabus for the students. So uh, yeah, there's no textbook in the school. We don't use textbook at all because they believe that resources like uh, references can be found anywhere. Like you can just go to the internet to find references, right? You don't really have to take your take out your textbook and read from it. Like it's where it's, you, you can, you can find all the knowledge from anywhere. Nowadays, basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. 
but uh, yeah, the mentors are there to guide the students. Like, how much information will you take in? Like, you cannot just take all the information, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, basically, is I think they really do a lot, lot of work of the on the curriculum. It's I know it's not easy. Like, you cannot just uh, you know take from the national curriculum and just give it to the students. No, it's it's, it's not that, but they would design in a way like, okay, there's this uh, big topic that they want to discuss in the whole year, and they would divide it into smaller topics, <laughs> and then they would convert it into projects for the kids. Yeah. So I know every, like this school holiday, I'm sure it's not a holiday for the teachers. <laughs> it's the, yeah, it's just, I'm sure they, they, they work like, maybe overtime during the school holiday, designing all these things for the new year. <laughs> yeah, curriculum development definitely takes a lot of time. And I mean, that's, that's the one area that I really love. Um, and so sometimes I prefer the curriculum development over like, um, you know, uh, teaching. But uh, I also love the teaching part because you get the feedback from the students and you see the sort of um, the, the, the payoff of that curriculum design. Um, and, and I'm wondering, uh, do you get to have any input there? Or, uh, so it sounds like, it sounds like there is a national curriculum and what the teachers do is they take that curriculum and they sort of create fun, like sensory, tactile, um, holistic ways um, and come up with projects that could make the curriculum more interesting for for their child for their students. Um, and I'm I'm wondering, do they, where do they come up with that those ideas of how to make the projects more interesting or relevant to the students? Do they get any input from the students, or do they get some input from the parents, or is it just them researching throughout the holiday? Um, you know looking at resources on the internet and um, coming up with ideas of their own? I think um, for like, I know that they would design this so-called master plan for the new school year, right? And along the way, they would receive inputs from the students, especially for the higher grade students, like uh, junior high and senior high. Um, yeah, they, 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 they take inputs, a lot of inputs from the students. But for the lower grades, like the elementary school and the um, kindergarten or preschool, I think they do their own research. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, from time to time, sometimes the parents uh, can give feedback, and they are very open about it. Like, let's say, okay, uh, let's say, like uh, a few months ago, we were not that happy about the uh, English class, and we would just meet and discuss, like. Um, what are the possible ways that we can improve this English class? Because um, the teacher, we felt that, uh, no, something, what I say? <laughs> a bit of um, mm. incompetent in teaching mm. uh, English structure. So, but we feel that because she's already in junior high and it's important to, you know, teach them about, a bit about English structure and grammar, like at, le at least practice good English while this teacher was like, as long as you can converse in English and that's fine. 
<laughs> we parents are really worried about it. But anyway, we sent it back to the school and yeah, they, they, they receive it well and we're better now. That's good. So that, that's a good thing about uh, this kind of school where we can communicate with each other. Like there is no wall between us and the teachers. Unlike other schools, like they, they usually limit us not to give too much feedback, you know, because they have this curriculum that they cannot, again, cross the line. Right. Right? But at this school, they are very welcome. Like if you want to give feedbacks, if you have ideas, if you have a certain topics, even if you have certain topics, like you want to go through the, with the kids and they are very welcome. And sometimes they would invite us parents to the mm -hmm. class too. Like if you want to give a bit of lecture or just for short discussions, and they're very welcome about it. How is that facilitated formally? Like, um, do they... We have WhatsApp groups, as simple as that. <laughs> we have WhatsApp groups with the uh, teachers, the class mentors, and also we have uh, WhatsApp groups with the principal. But if we feel that um, there is important issue that you want, to bring up and they would set up like uh, this forum they call it a forum like we would sit together with the relevant teachers and the uh, head of curriculum and sometimes if it's really important or urgent matters the principal would, uh, would sit with us that's really cool and also i can see like and so now i kind of want to ask you a little bit about uh the difference that you see um the tangible difference between, um, you know, before you sent your son to um, holistic school and after you sent him to holistic school. And I know you mentioned that, you know, there has been a lot of improvements, but I was wondering, like, if you could illustrate that with a story or an example. Um, from earlier years, I, I saw that um, he was more confident in drawing. He was really into drawing those early years in uh, in school, like when he was in kindergarten to uh, first and second grade. He would uh, he could create whatever things he liked. Like there was no limit. Like if he wanted to use different medias, if he wanted to, you know, um, like draw these imaginative things, whatever in his head, the the mentors would just allow him to do it. Unlike in uh, the previous school, where the teacher would provide this instruction, like you have to follow, draw this line from point A to point B, and that's it, <laughs> right? And if you wanted to create something else, like if you wanted to create, to turn it into a robot or, you know, some head or something, <laughs> the teacher would be like, no, you just, you need to stop doing that, right? So that's one thing that I noticed in his earlier years, uh, he, he was, he's like um, a very spontaneous guy. Like um, if he has a question in his mind then he would just pop the question up. Like, um, what is this and what is that? Well, in, uh, previous, in the previous school, he was not allowed to do that. Of course, like you have to raise your hand and wait for your turn, right? <laughs> of course, in this school that uh, they have this uh, regulation to like, um, just to keep the classroom in conducive, like, uh, you know, not everybody's talking at the same time and all that. They have to, they, they compromise on the 
you know, they, they make a certain arrangement, like uh, the classroom rules, their own version. Uh -huh. So uh, as he grew up, I feel that he is he's more confident in talking mm. to adults. Mm. You know, like uh, I feel that kids, especially nowadays after the pandemic and all that, they tend to be, um, you know, sometimes they will feel like they are not right. confident going through discussion with adults, right? I, I feel that, like, I can see uh, some of his friends from other school, when I try uh, to talk to them, they would just uh, answer in quietly. And sometimes they, they, they couldn't really uh, get the point of what I was asking. But for him, I think uh, we can we can have a normal conversation, like what we do as adults, like back and forth, back and forth. He would just question back and answer. And I think it's because of um, the culture in the school, like you are allowed to talk, you are allowed to express your ideas, you are allowed to have as much as discussion as you like. Yeah, that, that, that's one significant thing that I feel that is growing in him. I have a question actually. So um, what happened to the school when the physical lockdowns were happening and um, how did that impact your son's education or the projects that they were doing? How did they change? It was really a hard, hard time for us, the hardest time. Because every day he used to be able to meet with his friends like physically and they they were involved in physical activities together. But during the lockdown, we had no choice but we only met through screens. And during that time, um, actually at that school, we have sort of a, a rule that we limit, we really limit screen time. And we have this um, no gadget policy at school. So during the pandemic, we have to like, you know, flip everything. Like you have to use your gadgets to go to school, right? So it, it, it's hard for us. Like the transition period was really hard. Um, we were back to those old school days, like use just paper and read the yeah, read the paper and just submit the homework and all that. But it was only for um, year year four, I think. Yeah, grade four and grade five. Grade four especially was really hard for us, and I felt that mm. just skipped that year. Mm. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's really hard because. Maybe unlike other uh, schools that they use technology to facilitate the studies, this school previously they really had minimal like uh, minimal use mm. of technology because they want everything yeah. to be hands on. They want uh, the students to be able to uh, really f feel the tangible things and. Yeah, basically they, they don't really use those computers and all that but pandemic has since changed that and now nowadays 
every student, uh, yeah, whether you like it or not, they need to use right. gadgets and laptops and all that. Right? Yeah, I think that's kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think technology is going anywhere <laughs> um, in the future. You, you cannot, you cannot go against right. the technology, right? Right. You have to be able to adapt and just use it wisely and it will benefit you in any way. Right, exactly. Um, and I'm just curious, like how they adapted like a very project-based curriculum into something that could, that had to be done by yourself. And I'm wondering how it could have been easier for you. Um, usually in school, uh, the teachers are in charge of facilitating activities and they're also responsible for assessing and evaluating the progress of the students. And uh, during the pandemic, those responsibilities fell on you. And so um, did the school give you any tools or strategies uh, to help you navigate those two areas or and or what parts of those were difficult for you that you wish you could have had better guidance for? I think education for our kids should uh, be should be facilitated from both sides, parents and educators. Like we have to go hand in hand. We have to know what's going on at the school. Like we cannot just, you know, yeah, do whatever you like and just I, I just want to see the results. No, it's not it's not the right way to do it because I believe that in order for uh, our children to grow well, to develop well, they need both guidance from the school and from us as parents. Basically, during the pandemic, um, we as parents are the real mentors for our kids. So the teacher could only give us like. Uh, these materials and these study materials and you have to, you need to follow. But uh, everything is done at home and yeah, I became the mentor. And even, uh, you know, the the assessment, I, I still remember clearly, yeah, the assessment mm. was done by us parents, not the teachers, because uh, they thought that uh, we were the ones who were with them, who studied with them, who mentored them. So the responsibility of this assessment uh, is with the parents, not the teachers. Right. Um, if you ask me what tools that uh, can be used for facilitated, I think it's as simple as, you know, those messaging services like WhatsApp, right? If we uh, can communicate openly in two way, I think it would create a much better environment for everyone, right? Because I feel that um, teachers, I know their workload is not easy. I know their workload is like, you know, like you have to go every single thing, you have to go into details and it's sometimes it's overwhelming. I can totally understand that. But if you can get help from the parents, wouldn't it be better for you? Like if you receive feedback on sometimes, I know teachers are human too, right? Sometimes you get lost, like uh, maybe 
uh, you you are not sure like if this topic will be engaging to the students or not. Sometimes I think it's it will be easier for the teachers too to get feedback from the parents, like to discuss together whether uh, if you want to go to this topic, like will this be beneficial for our students, for our kids, right? So I think communication is the key, and I think there is I think there is one other lying point here, like. Um, we cannot have too many people in the school, right? Um, I think a good school is a place where our kids know everyone, like, I mean, not really not everyone, but know each other at school. Like the teachers could know the kids personally, right? So they would understand all their needs. They would understand, um, what they are interested of, like what topics or what subjects these kids are good at, or, you know, like those kind of thing. And that is why I, I can see that from this holistic school, in the first place, the principal said, mentioned to us, like, um, we cannot grow this school. Like we have to have a certain limit, certain capacity in order for us to be functioning well. If we grow out of that capacity, everything will might be like out of, getting out of hand and we couldn't control it. Not like uh, you have seven classes in a year <laughs> where everybody hardly knows everyone. All the teachers like hardly knows the students. No, it's, it's, not, it's not the way of, a, of learning in a good way. Thank you for tuning in to our conversation. The word mentor came up a lot during my chat with Estrin, and it had me reflecting on all of the mentors I've had in my life. One that came to mind was my Girl Scout troop leader from elementary school, who was also the mom of my good friend. Roseanne was the type of sophisticated mother you'd see depicted in films and TV shows. She would adjust home decorations according to the season, wear business casual clothing at home, and for a quick dinner, would serve deviled eggs as an appetizer before freshly grating Parmesan onto a bowl of spaghetti. She knew my mother was busy, so she often invited me over for a weeknight dinner or weekend activity. One year, for my birthday, she gave me a book with a female protagonist who was Korean-American. Although it's easier to find Korean-American characters in books today, it was incredibly rare 30 years ago. I can't remember exactly what the story was about, but I remember being surprised to see elements of my own ethnic culture depicted in a professionally printed book bound in the United States. Many years later, when I was in the 7th or 8th grade, Roseanne introduced me to a real-life Korean-American author whose first published book caught the attention of Oprah. Maybe she knew what she was doing, or maybe she didn't think what she did was that special. But throughout my childhood, Roseanne did things like this to bring light to my culture that society never did. She showed me what being seen felt like long before I even came to value what representation meant. 
And for this Asian female neurodivergent child of a single immigrant mom, that meant the world. Roseanne, if you're hearing this, thank you so much for everything. But above all, for helping to instill in me the inner permission to center myself as the hero of my own story. Thank you so much for listening. If any part of this episode resonated with you, please connect with us on social media at the links in the show notes. And if you'd like to share your own education journey with us on this podcast, please send me a DM on Instagram. Instagram.